You see, these words mean a lot. They are not just words. They are life and they, they are life-changing situations. Words that can turn things around. You see, it says, if, particularly in the last one, in his arms, he will take and shield you. Thou will find the solace there. That peace that you're looking for, that seems so elusive. In his arms, you will find that peace. In his presence, you'll find that peace. We should take everything to God in prayer. You see, <laughs> we forfeit our peace because we don't go to him. We want to handle the situations ourselves, our way, the human way. But you see, those ways don't really give you the true solution. They don't give you the real solution. It's only him who can do that. It's only in his presence that will find true peace. So whatever it is, take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, you'll find that solace, that peace that you're craving. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful as him? Never. The never is. Point a friend, point out a friend of yours who's so faithful and you'll be shocked. Just give it a few days, a few weeks and you see what faithful really means? When the rubber hits the road, there'll be nowhere to be found. But in God, we'll find that faithfulness. He's a faithful friend. He went to the cross faithfully. He did, just for you and for me. Someone else would have turned away, but he didn't. He carried out to the end. So let's Jesus be our friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's remember that. What a friend indeed we have in Jesus. I'll quickly look at one scripture verse and I'll go to what I want to talk about. And I pray that the Lord will bring something to us all. It may be one word, one sentence, one direction, but he will speak to us. He will minister to somebody today. And I'm praying that these words that I speak are not just coming from me. It shouldn't be about me. They're not coming from me, but from him. He will take those words and turn it around and touch that bit that nothing else can touch and change. The Spirit of God can do that. Hallelujah. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, sovereign God, you have made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and thy outstretched arms. Nothing is too hard for you. Amen. Nothing is too hard for you. Amen. Absolutely nothing. Amen. I remember in the previous place that I used to be, there's a chorus that goes, Our Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power. Our Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy outstretched arms. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Great and mighty God, great and counsel, mighty indeed, mighty indeed. Absolutely nothing, nothing is too difficult for thee. You see, so with our God, 
There's nothing difficult for him, nothing too hard. He's sovereign. He made the heavens and the earth. What else would be difficult for him? Is it the challenge that you're facing? Is it the thing that you're looking for that haven't, you haven't got yet? Hold on. Don't give up. Look to him. Tend to him. Forget the things that are around you because they are a distraction. They derail you from where you want to go, what you want to do, who you should be looking up to. You shouldn't look up to man. You shouldn't look up to situations and circumstances for they tell a different story. They are not truth, but the word of God is truth. And that truth establishes you. That truth gives you life. That truth takes you to where you ought to go. So our focus should be on our Christ. Nothing else and no one else. That is not to say that those situations and circumstances don't look real. They are there. But the thing is not to focus on them. Turn your eyes onto Jesus. Because our God is bigger than those issues, those situations. Have you realized that when you, when you get into an airplane, you fly up? It's like you're leaving those things behind. As you go higher, they become smaller and smaller. And they look less and less significant in the same way. As we saw above in the spirit and concentrate on God. Those situations that yesterday looked so insurmountable, looked like they were taking you down. They become insignificant. They can't hold you back anymore. They cannot. Today I'll delve a little bit into the book of Esther. Esther, Esther, Esther. You know the people of Israel were in captivity. And we know what happened. Let's, sometimes it's good to get into the scripture to remind ourselves. And we shall see here the hand and the move of God. And we shall see here in Esther, the book of Esther, that indeed our sovereign God made, indeed made the heavens and the earth. And there's nothing too difficult for him. Absolutely nothing. You see how he turned their captivity around. He even used their same enemies to give them victory. The enemies that had plotted against them. There was a decree passed that would have meant the annihilation of the Jewish people in the land of Persia. But you see, God, God is wonderful and he's interesting. Many a times when these situations come, your enemies believe they've got you. They've got you where they want you to be. They've got you in the position they want you to be. They've got you to lose all hope. But you see, God uses those same things that the enemy meant for evil, for your good. He does that all the time. And many a times, we, 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 you and I have a part to play in that. First things, faith. You must look up to him and believe that he will turn it around. That indeed, he's in your favor. That indeed, he causes all things to work together for your good. We must believe that at all times, no matter what, no matter how big it seems or how bad it looks, we shouldn't forget that we have a bigger God. We have a God who is capable of turning these same things around. You have your part to play. You have to be faithful. 
and you have to be obedient to his word. What does his word say concerning this issue? Hold on to that word. Hold on to that scripture. Hallelujah. Let's quickly, I want to pick out a few things from the book of Esther. If we go to Esther, I just want to give a background. If we go to Esther chapter 1, um, book of Esther. And then it's, we just do the first three verses just to give a background. It was in the Esther 1, 1 to 3. It was in the days of Ahasuerus, that's Zexis, his other name, who reigned from India to Ethiopia. So obviously this was a mighty emperor, a mighty king. Look at the land that he, he conquered or he reigned over. India, all across Asia, into Kush, Africa. And he covered 127 provinces in those days. And he was on his throne in Susa, which was the capital of the Persian Empire. In the third year of his reign, he held a banquet for all his officials and his attendants. The army officers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the officials of the provinces were there in his presence. I shall end that bit there. Then let's jump to verse 10. I'm just giving the background and then I'll go into it. On the seventh, so this, this bit we're coming to is about his queen, Vashti, and her refusal. You see, on the seventh day, when the king's heart was joyful with wine, as he was in high spirits, he commanded Mehuman, Bista, Habona, Bitha, Abatha, Zitha, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king, wearing her crown to display her beauty before the people and the officials, for she was lovely to see. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, which was delivered by the eunuchs. So the king became extremely angry and burned with rage. Then I'll jump again quickly. Because of time, I don't want us to go through every single bit. Uh, we, go, we jump to 19, verse 19. If it pleases the king, let a royal command be issued by him, and let it be written in the laws of the Persians and Medes, so that it cannot be repealed or modified, that Vashti is no longer to, be, to come before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to another, who is better and more worthy than she is. So when the king's great decree is proclaimed throughout his kingdom, all women will give honor to their husbands from the great to the insignificant. We see here, so we've set the tone for uh, the background of this and how Esther came into the picture. You see, God orchestrates things. Zexus was not one of God's people. He was an enemy to the Jews. But you see, even the enemies, God, you see, the word of God says that if a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. He turns things around. It doesn't make sense that your enemy will be at peace with you. If they are an enemy, then surely they're going to come after you and they'll do everything to destroy you. But this God that we serve does not allow that. He can turn their hearts around and cause them to be at peace 
with you. But you see, you have to know your God. He's there to do this for you and for me. So Vashti was removed from the scene. Then Esther came on the scene. So I'll quickly let us jump to Esther chapter 2, um, 3 to 9. Let's, I'm just giving some, laying some foundation and then we'll pick it up. Then uh, we go into uh, Esther 2, 3 to 9. Let the king appoint. So now they're talking of getting another wife for the king. So he's moved his wife out of the picture, the queen out of the picture. Now he's looking for a replacement, right? So this is the background to it. So his advisors are telling him, let the king appoint administrators in all the provinces of his kingdom and have them gather all the beautiful young virgins to the citadel in Susa, into the harem, under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who's in charge of the women, and let their beauty preparations be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen in place of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did accordingly. There was a certain Jew in the citadel of Susa, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been deported from Jerusalem with the captives, who had been exiled with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. He was the guardian of Hadassah, that's another name for Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had no father or mother. The young woman was beautiful of form and face, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her his, as his own daughter. So it came about when the king's command and his decree were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered together in the citadel of Susa, into the custody of Haggai, that Esther was taken to the king's palace and placed in the custody of Haggai, who was in charge of the women. Now the young woman pleased Haggai and found favor with him. So he quickly provided her with beauty preparations and portion of food, and he gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace. Then he transferred her and her maids to the best place in the harem. Do you see favor at work here? Because Esther was, it says there that she pleased Haggai and found favor. Because she found that favor, she was promoted ahead of all the other young and beautiful women in the harem. So as it were, she jumped the queue. When God is on your side and when God is on your case, you go ahead of the queue. It doesn't matter whether you are the tail end. He moves you from the back right to the front to fulfill his purpose and his plan concerning you. Only believe and look up to him and it shall be according to what you have believed. So she was moved from the back to the front. So then it meant that she was going to see the king quicker than all the others. Wouldn't you like to receive that kind of favor? Favor, favor that moves you from the back to the front. Amen. Then we'll jump again. I beg, I'm sorry about all this jumping. Uh, Esther chapter 2, 15 to 18. Go on to 15. Now, as for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken 
her in as his own daughter. When her turn came to go into the king, she requested nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch and attendant, who was in charge of the women, advised. And Esther found favor in the sight of all who saw her. So Esther was taken to the king, Ahasuerus, to his royal palace in the 10th month, that is the 10th month of Tebeth, says here, December to January, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she found favor and kindness with him more than all the other virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen in place of Vashti. That's the promotion. See, favor. Did you, did you take note of that bit that I read there, which says here, when her turn came to go, she requested nothing except, except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, told her. He was in charge of the women. He knew his master, the king. He knew, he understood his thinking, his mindset. So if he's pointing you in the right direction, better take heed. She wasn't on her high horse saying, oh yeah, I'm beautiful, I'm pretty. He'll fall down at my feet when he sees me. No, no, no. She listened and did exactly what he advised. And what happened? She found favor and became the queen. The royal crown was put on her head. You see, in the book of Esther, we see quite a number of things here. We see the grace of God at work. His grace, his grace, his grace. His unmerited favor at work. How else would you explain how Esther was promoted? It's grace, the grace of God. Nothing more but grace that took her there. You see, again, if we look carefully, we see here the challenge between the king and his queen, Vashti. There was pride at work and boastfulness on behalf of the king. The king was boastful, he was drunk, and he thought he could do whatever he liked. The queen was proud and was, and was stubborn and would not be pushed about. So when these things meet, there's bound to be a clash, isn't there? So once these had met, Sin took hold and they went apart. They went their separate ways. There was a break. There was a break because you see, neither party was prepared to put away what would lead to that break or division. They both got on their high horses and it just led to that separation and the break. That's sin at work there. Sin, pride, pride, haughtiness doesn't take anybody anywhere. Then God chooses to bless whom he chooses to bless. There's nothing you or I can do about it. We can talk, 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 tip, 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 to get us nowhere. Let's get ourselves into his word. Let's get ourselves so that 
what he's doing, we are in line and we are in tune with it. Not have our own way or do our own thing or say our own thing. Because you see, if we are not careful and not really tuned to what he's saying and doing, watching what he's doing and being in line with it, very soon we'll find that we're left behind because God is going on doing his stuff. We have to tune in so that we can follow what he's doing. We can be in his will for our lives. We need to do that at all times. God works in mysterious ways. You see, um, there are two bits to this. There's the Mordecai element and there's the Esther or Hadassah. Mordecai brought Esther into this situation. Why did Mordecai do this? Um, we're going to jump to additional scripture. Let's look at Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. You see, um, Mordecai was obedient. He knew the word of God, and he was obedient. So, for me, there's a lesson here. We must know the word of God. That's one. Two, we must be obedient to his word. You can't be obedient to what you don't know. So we have to find out what the word says, and then be obedient to it. Okay, so let's go to Jeremiah 29, 4-7. Jeremiah 29, 4-7. And this was what um, Mordecai remembered here. So says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the captives whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Let's pause there. We all know, or we are in agreement, that at this stage, the Jews were in exile. Correct? Okay, they were in exile. So in exile, Mordecai remembered the scripture. So let's look at it again. So says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the captives whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Seek peace and well and seek peace and well-being for the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its peace or well-being, you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are among you and your, div and your diviners deceive you. Pay no attention and attach no significance to the dreams which they dream or to yours. You see? So in effect, you would have thought that, okay, we're in exile. We want to go back. Why should we pray for the land in which we're in exile? The natural mind wouldn't want to do that. No. All you want to do is go back. You want to get out of exile. You want your freedom. You want to be out of captivity. But God works differently. He says, pray for the peace of the land in which you dwell. Pray for the peace of the land in which you are held captive. That in its peace, you will have peace. That's how God works. The natural mind doesn't want to work that way. In fact, it does not work that way. 
All you want to do is find a way of escape, a way of getting out. But he's saying, pray for the peace of the land in which you dwell. Marry, dwell there, live, live in the place, be happy. Be happy in the situation because in that, the Lord will deliver you. So he's saying, pray for the peace of the land in which you dwell. So, Mordecai remembered this in Persia, and he did that. That's why he, and he got Esther into that position. And you know the interesting thing? He said to Esther, because there was fear on Esther's part too. She knew she was Jewish. She didn't disclose that. Because in her mind, saying that at the very beginning, would be automatic disqualification. No, you don't qualify. We're not taking Jews in here. We're only taking Persians. She didn't disclose that. So there was a bit of fear in the background, lurking a bit of fear. So, but you see, you know what? She did it afraid. Do we do things? Do we take steps afraid? Or do we say, oh, I'm scared, so I'm not going to do anything about the situation? I just sit there. Are we the type of people who say, che sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. No, 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 no. As Christians, we shouldn't be even saying things like, che sera, sera, no. What we should be saying is, our God reigns. Our God reigns. No matter the circumstance or situation, our God reigns. And we saw here from the very beginning, Jeremiah 32, 17, our Lord God, thou hast, you are, he's the sovereign God, you have made the heavens and the earth by thy great power, by thy outstretched arms. There's nothing too difficult for you. So if we're saying that, then we mustn't fear any other thing or situation. No? We must remind him of his word as if he needs reminding but just for us, our own good. You see, the interesting thing about that is, it's not God that we are reminding. We are reminding ourselves. We are reminding ourselves that indeed, there's nothing too difficult for him. As we say it more and more, you see, it goes back to what I was saying about knowing the word and walking in obedience. So we know that there's nothing too difficult for him. We know that is his word. So we walk and believe that there's nothing too difficult for him. That's God for you. So we had the situation where Mordecai came in. And you see, God is interesting. He placed Mordecai at a strategic position where he overheard people plotting the death, killing the king. They were plotting to kill the king, get rid of him. Mordecai passed that message on to Esther. Eventually, the king got to hear of it, and those two were killed. But you see, Mordecai. Mordecai was one strong person who believed in his God and who would not accept anything else. And he kept telling Esther, encouraging, asking about her daily, how she was doing, finding out just so he wanted to make sure that she, he, she was not about to back out. And he made it clear. Who knows that you were not born for such a time as this? You were not brought here for such a time as this. You were not put in this position for such a time as this. And he made it clear to her. 
she may not do it. God will find somebody else. You see, there's nothing that will stop God fulfilling his purpose and his plan. Are you going to be willing to be the person who God will use? Or are, you, are we going to stand on the sidelines? Because whether we put ourselves forward for God to use us or stand on the sidelines, his purpose will be established. It could be you he uses, or it may be somebody else he uses. But that will be established. His purpose will definitely be established at all times. Then we got to the stage, we come to the stage, because of time, I'm not going to read all the scriptures. Right. So, in, it'll be in a quiet time, you can go through the book of Esther uh, to remind yourselves of what it is. But I'm just going to summarize a few things. God has a plan for all our lives. It's up to us to align ourselves with his word and with him. To know those plans so that we flow in them. That's one thing we need to remember. And you see, there's always the opportunity. God always provides opportunities and enables us to alter, to change situations and circumstances. Not in our own strength, but in him and through him. But he puts you in a position where you take advantage of the opportunities so that you call upon him and that change will come. Your change will come. We must stand with courage. Esther did it afraid. She went ahead afraid. She still did it. There was fasting and prayer. You know one thing, she's, when Mordecai kept going on, eventually she said, okay, do you know what? I'm going to fast and pray. Can you guys do it with me? Let's do it together. So she had that support, which is why as Christians, we must learn to lean on one another. We must learn to call upon each other for support. Whatever challenge or issues in life that we come across. We are not one. We are one body. We are one body made up of several bits, just as the human body. But we need to be one. We need to be operating as one. So she called upon them to fast and pray with her. And she did say that after the period of fasting and prayer, she would then go to the king. Because in those days, if the king had not summoned you, you dare not approach. Because that could ultimately lead to your death. If he hadn't called you and you approached, he had that power to either hear you or order your execution. Can you imagine that? Purely for going to or wanting to see him, you could be killed. But you see, again, she did it afraid and went into his presence. We know the story, how the, the story unfolds. She told him, she, the, he organized a banquet, went through all that, and she asked for, uh, <laughs> let me backtrack. Prior to this, a decree had been passed. And in those days, when decrees are passed, they cannot be altered, they cannot be changed. They're there. Even the king himself, who put a stamp on, cannot alter it or change it. And the decree was that the Jews would be annihilated, they would be destroyed. 
And that was orchestrated by none other than our good friend, Haman. We know the story of Haman. Haman hated the Jews. And he hated them the more because of Mordecai. Because, when every, because he was in a high office. He occupied a high office very close to the king. He thought that when anybody saw him, they had to stand, they had to bow before him and all that. Mordecai absolutely refused to do it. And therefore, he was a madman. We know the story of how he had prepared a gallow at the gates to the palace in preparation for the hanging of Mordecai. But you see, God is interesting. What your enemies mean for evil, God turns around for your good. That very same gallow that was meant for Mordecai. Yes? He couldn't be touched. And the person, the orchestrator, was rather hung on it. So it's interesting. He had prepared the instrument for his own death. And that's what our God does. Every day I say, as part of my prayer, let my enemies eat their own flesh and drink their own blood. I say it. You may not say it. Me, I will say it and continue to say it. Your enemy does not seek your good. It's a battle in which we are. In that battle, sometimes you need to be violent. You need to really stand and stand your ground. You don't let the enemy off the hook because the enemy is a wily character. They pretend, oh yeah, okay, all right. It's as though they have their tail between their legs and they're walking away, but they're all the time, all the while plotting your downfall. So, you don't spare the enemy. You have to take that opportunity to deal with them and deal well with them. So, the banquet was organized. Haman thought, he was invited, he thought, oh yeah. And it came to the remembrance of the king that a plot to assassinate him had been made known to him. And he thought he would use that opportunity to honor the person who had discovered the plot. Haman thought, oh yeah, I mean, he would be the one who would get all that. But you see, when it was made clear that it was Mordecai, what did he do? He almost killed himself, Haman. Uh, because he was thinking to himself, this guy that I hate so much, how can he have this white horse and this robe and all that, and me, who sits next to the king, don't get that? You see, sometimes, when we want to do things our own way and not God's way, we become haughty and think we've arrived. We know it all. We know it all. Oh yes, oh yeah, now I'm the chief whatever. But you see, we must learn humility at all times. Humility is key, it is important in our lives, in our daily walk. God always raises those who are humble. He raises them all the time. He raises the humble. So, Mordecai was promoted. He was exalted. It became clear to all. The decree was turned around. It could not be carried out. Hear me, when God is involved, 
That same decree that could not be revoked, could not be changed, was not able to be carried out. When God is involved in a matter, no matter what it is, what he has willed is what will be established. That is what will stand. Do not be afraid. Only believe and only know that our Lord, he reigns. Our God reigns. Let the earth tremble. Our God reigns. Let the earth tremble. He's made the heavens and the earth by thy great power, by his great power, by his outstretched arms. There's nothing too difficult for him. That's the God that we serve. We must stand with courage at all times. Lastly, let's remember that God uses everything. In fact, let me rephrase. God uses anything, anything, and anyone. Don't forget, this king was patient. Yet he used the patient king to bless his people, to turn the situation and circumstances of his people around. He didn't go and say, okay, I can only use Jews because they are my people. God uses anybody. Anybody and anything. So let's not be afraid. Sometimes the very person who seems to be, or the very thing that seems to be an enemy, may be the same thing that God is using to turn the situation around for you. So what we need to find out is, God, are you in this? God, are you in this? Reveal to me, are you in this? And let him be. Let him do what he has to do. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Our God never fails. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.